Well, hey, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good. It's starting to feel like Christmas, isn't it? Christmas lights are up. Uh, there is snow on the ground. It is happening. We are entering the happy Christmas, remember? Happy Christmas is for like the next month, and sad Christmas is everything in January and February. But uh, it's nice to see all of you happy now. Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke 17. We're going to be in the Gospels. We're going to look at a story uh, involving Jesus Christ uh, this morning. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We have people that will get those to you. Uh, Luke 17 is where we're going to be. We're going to jump around a little bit, so we're going to be moving around. You're definitely going to want a Bible. Um, hey, for those of you that were here last weekend, how fun was it to see Pastor Eric? Uh, wasn't that uh, good and encouraging to hear from him? Yeah, we can give him a round of applause. He won't hear it, but we can still be pumped about it. Um, I was able to be up in Fremont, and I tell you what, man, I just love that church, and I love Eric, and I love his family, and when I go there, it feels like I'm here. The people love each other. They love the Lord. Their Bibles are open. What God is doing in that community um, is really, really powerful. So it was so fun to be able to, to do a, a weekend swap. And Eric's like, we got to do that once a year. It was an encouragement for both of us. And um, if uh, you kind of know, if you've grown up in the church, you kind of know that this weekend is the bridge between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And uh, starting next week, we are going to be full out into our Christmas series. We've got special worship elements. The room's going to be decorated. Like Christmas begins really next week for us at church. And here's what I would say. If you've been at our church for any length of time, you know that Christmas is a big deal for us. December is probably my favorite month of the year. And so whether it be the family Christmas day or the Christmas Eve services, sign up, invite friends, invite family, be a part of it. These are going to be really special services. So excited for that. But if you've grown up in church, you know that this is kind of a bridge weekend. And so what happens is, is there's usually some sort of message that ties into this idea of thanksgiving or being thankful when you come to church. And um, I need to like tell on myself for a moment, I have always hated Thanksgiving weekend messages. I've never liked them. And here's why. If you're taking notes, you see the title of my message? It's Let's Stop Being Cheesy. Here's what drives me crazy about Thanksgiving messages. Um, we need to make fun of ourselves a little bit. Do you know that we as Christians can get super cheesy? Especially when we talk about being thankful, it's like the absolute worst. Here's what we say. We say things like, um, an attitude of gratitude will set the altitude for your life. How many of you have heard that before? All right, do you turn to your neighbor and say, that's the worst, right? That, that, that's so cheesy. And by the way, I don't even understand what it means. No matter how grateful I am, I'm not getting any taller. My altitude has been set and it is what it is. Like that's not changing. But we come up with like these pithy phrases. And what drives me the most crazy, I think, is, is we picture thankfulness as like this feeling we have. I feel good, I feel happy, and it's this warm, fuzzy blanket that I wear around the holidays. Man, I just feel so thankful. And you wanna know what's true? That's not even what thankfulness is. We're gonna talk about thankfulness this morning, but here's my goal, here's what I wanna do. I wanna redeem cheesy Thanksgiving messages and have us be less cheesy versions of ourselves. You guys good with that? All right, so here's the big idea. Here's what I'm going to really push this morning. It's this. It's that thankfulness is not just a posture, but true thankfulness demands tangible action. Thanksgiving is an action. Being thankful is something you do way more than it is something you feel. It's not just an attitude. It's not just a disposition. Listen, I can feel thankful for my kids. I can feel like I love them. 
But if that never translates into me caring for them or serving for them or providing for them or telling them that I love them and I'm thankful for them, I'm not actually thankful. I'm just in my own feelings. Our thankfulness needs to have massive active implications for our lives. Did you know that when the Bible talks about thankfulness, it primarily refers to it as an action, not a feeling? The Bible doesn't tell us to be thankful or to feel thankful. The primary way the Bible talks about thankfulness is to give thanks. Give thanks over and over and over again. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 16. Through 18, 1 Chronicles 16, Ezra 3, Psalm 7, Psalm 9, Psalm 35, Psalm 69, Psalm 95, Psalm 107, 1, Psalm 107, 8. You get the point? It's this idea that when we are thankful, we are to do something with it. We are to give thanks to God and to one another. And what we're going to see this morning in Luke 17 is a story where this idea plays itself out in the life of Jesus Christ himself. Look at Luke 17, starting at verse 11. Here's what it says. It says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So Jesus is headed back to Jerusalem for the last time. He's preparing to die on the cross. It says, as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. That says, and then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turning back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at the feet of Jesus, giving him thanks. And now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Okay, church, here's the first thing we need to see that our thankfulness is a direct result of what has been done for us. The fact that we have been healed just like these men needs to produce active thankfulness, right? So Jesus in the story, he is traveling to Jerusalem. He's headed through Samaria and he meets 10 men who are by themselves. They're separated. They're away from the town and they start shouting at Jesus. And they're like, hey, Jesus, please save us. We're in help. We need trouble. We are sick. We have leprosy. And so let's get on the same page when we're talking about leprosy. Um, leprosy, for those of you that don't know, it was a, it still is a disease. There's a cure for it now. There wasn't in the time of Christ, but it is a bacterial disease that is contagious that attacks primarily your hands, your feet, your eyes, and your face. And what makes leprosy uh, so dangerous is that it attacks your nerves in your hands and feet. And what that means is when you cut yourself or when you hurt yourself, you don't feel pain anymore. So those wounds, rather than you caring for them and helping them heal, you don't know you have them. The infection gets worse. And most people with leprosy over a period of time will lose all their fingers. They'll lose their toes. They'll lose their feet. It it, it wastes away your body. And if it is not treated, it will ultimately kill you. And um, did you know that in the Old Testament that leprosy is used as a physical picture of how devastating sin in our lives are? Did you know that? Like it's a physical picture of sin. Throw up the next slide. Here's some ways that this condition mirrors what sin does to our hearts and to us spiritually. Uh, The first was it was incurable, right? There was nothing you could do if you had leprosy to help yourself get past this illness. 
There wasn't a medicine you could take. There wasn't going to a place. There wasn't a pool that you could sit in and get healed. When you had leprosy, you had leprosy and that was it for you. Um, it attacked you from the inside out. It was something that was wrong inside of you that, that would ruin your life. Um, it's contagious, right? We talk a lot at church about how our sin doesn't just impact us, but it destroys the relationships we have with God and with others, right? When you had leprosy, it was contagious. So you had to be separated. It's isolating. You had to be away from your family and loved ones. And what would happen is, is people with leprosy, they would live in what was called leper colonies. And the only way they would survive is they would hope to have loved ones that would come out and bring them food, leave it, walk away, and then they could come and get it. And that's how they would survive. And then the last thing we see, it was a death sentence. Right? Just like the wages of sin is death, there's nothing we can do to solve our sin problem on our own. Leprosy, there was no cure. This was the beginning of the end for you. Right? So I love this picture. Jesus meets these men in this condition, and they're desperate to be healed. And Jesus sees them and has compassion. Here's what happens in this story. These men have one shot at life, and his name is Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's something we should all be able to resonate with. It says Jesus sees them, has compassion on them, and just through his word, because he is King of kings, Lord of lords, God of the universe, he says you're healed, and they're healed just like he did to us. But then look at verse 15. It says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan, and then Jesus answered, Were not the ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said to them, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Okay, so here's the crazy part of the story. These 10 men have just been saved. Their lives have been transformed, but only one of them comes back and gives thanks to God. And I love the language used here in verse 15. Pay attention to this. It says, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. By the way, if I could describe what I would hope our worship at this church would be, it's those two verses right there. Praising God with a loud voice, falling at the feet of Jesus, giving him thanks. This is one of the best pictures of worship in the entire Bible. He was filled with joy. He was grateful. And listen, that led him to very bold, public actions of faithfulness. Loud, bold, tangible. All right, then Jesus asks an interesting question. He says, where are the other nine? Like, why didn't they come back and thank me like you did? So can I ask you a question, church? Do you think the other nine men were happy about what happened to them? Right, give me a thumbs up if you think they're happy. Yeah, they're having a good day. Their lives have been saved. They've been healed from an incurable illness. They're probably super happy and they might feel thankful. But can I ask you a question? Were they actually thankful? Did that lead to right action of thankfulness? No, it did not. What they felt and how they lived didn't match up. Only one out of the 10 come back and thanked Jesus. And here's what really kind of is the thing that keeps me up at night about this passage. Jesus noticed the other nine didn't come back. You see that? He's like, why didn't they come back and thank me? God notices when we lack right thankful action towards him. And church, here's what I believe. Our lack of thankfulness, our lack of right worship will always stem from the fact that we have taken for granted what God has done for us. 
And, and I love like, even like as kind of hard it is, as it is to look at that physical image of someone with leprosy, in some ways it's good for our heart to be like, man, this is a picture of what our lives are like with sin. And this is what we've been saved from. This is what we've been redeemed of, that we had an incurable illness that separated us from God. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take on our sickness, to die the death that we deserved so that we might be saved and have life. Church, we need to be the people that are at Jesus's feet, giving him thanks, amen? It stems from what has been done from, uh, for us. Okay, here's the next thing we see, is that thankfulness is a direct result of our new identity. It's a direct result of our new identity. Do me a favor, if you have your Bibles open, turn back a couple books. We're gonna hop into the Old Testament. Go to Isaiah 43. We're gonna be in Isaiah 43. And just a little bit of backdrop to this. Um, the nation of Israel is in trouble. They haven't followed the Lord. They've kind of fallen into idolatry and they're about to be taken captive and they're looking at a long exile straight in the eyes. Like that is their future. And actually, if you were to read Isaiah 42, God is expressing his disappointment in them. He's like, why won't you listen to the prophets? Why won't you turn your worship back to me? Why have you run away from the God that saved you from Egypt and redeemed you? And, and what happened? But then look what he says in verse one of Isaiah 43. He says this, he says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, listen to this, fear not for I have redeemed you and I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Look at verse four, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not for I am with you. All right, church, can I give you some free advice right now? Um, if you are a family that has young kids in the house still, um, Isaiah 43, four should be a verse that you memorize as a family. All right, let me read it again. It says, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. As Mary and I fight the battle for our kids' identity, Isaiah 43, four has been the most important verse in the Bible to help root our kids into what is most true about them. Right On days where my kids are freaking out and they feel like failures and they're riddled with anxiety, guess what we say? Hey, what does God say you are? And we tell them that they're precious and honored and loved. If you were to find any of my four kids today, you could walk up to them and if you say, hey, what are you? They will look at you and say, I am precious and I'm honored and I'm loved. And they'll probably be like, I'm also mad at dad for telling everyone because now they're going to ask me. That might be a thing too. But it is something that we have drilled in. Listen, memorize this. Talk about this with your kids because this sets our identity. You are precious, church. Here's what that means. You're valuable. That you are worth it. That you have dignity. That you are a prized possession. Listen, that God is not regretting what he did when he sent himself to save us that we are honored, that we're respected, that we're revered, that you matter, that your sin is not seen by God, that you are hidden in Christ, in his righteousness and in his perfection, and that your sin has been removed from you as far as the East is from the West, and that you are loved, that God wants you, he adopts you, he cares for you. Um, so Mary and I, we had a couple quiet days in and around the holiday this week. So we do what you know, people do when they've got a couple quiet days. We binged a Netflix show. 
And uh, there's a new show that just came on Netflix maybe a couple weeks ago. And um, it's all about a cult that's based in Michigan. And I don't know why that fascinated me, but it did. So I spent my Thanksgiving, you know, watching up on cults. And what's interesting is, is this certain group, the way they hook you in, the way they get you to be a part of their community is they make a promise. They say, if you join our group, you will find your one true love. That there is one person that is out there that will meet all of your needs, that you will be united to, that you will have perfect spiritual union with. And if you come to our group and take our classes and pay us money, we'll set you up with that person. And then everything else in your life is going to be amazing. And the thing that like blew my mind as I'm watching it, I'm like, man, these poor people, they just need to know Jesus Christ. They're like, man, there is not one person in the universe that can fulfill the eternal longing of our soul. You know what can fulfill that? Our creator God, the one who designed us, the one who formed us, the one who called us, the one who named us, that our hearts, listen, church, our hearts are designed to want the things that only Jesus can give us, right? If you were here at Easter, I said, listen, the things that we want in life most If you were to look at the why we want those things, the answer is already found in Jesus and we already have it in him. So can we play this game again? All right, here's what I want you to do. If you have a pen out and you're taking notes, I want you without thinking to write down really quick, what are you looking forward to most this Christmas? Write it down. All right, write it down. What are you most excited about for this Christmas? And um, when you have it written down or you have it in your head, raise my hand so I know. All right, about six of you have it so far. Come on. All right, all right, most of us have it. All right, so can we play this game? Um, How many of you, uh, mama bears, said, man, I'm just looking forward to being with family? They're like, that's my thing. Raise my yeah, that, that, that's, that's most of us, right? Like, I just love it when the family gathers together, when they're all around, when everyone's getting along. You know what, guess what? Do you know that we've been given an eternal family in Jesus Christ? It says that God adopted us into his family. So all of these feelings of, man, I just want to be with the people who know me best and accept me and love me. All of that is awesome as it is. Man, I spent time with my family at Thanksgiving. I loved it. It's a shadow of our ultimate reality that we are fully known and fully loved by God. And our eternal destination is at home in heaven with him. That feeling of wanting to be around family is ours in Christ. You have been reunited, reconciled, restored to your relationship with your heavenly father. All right, how many of you were like, man, I've got a vacation or I'm ready to be done with school or man, I'm just loving a couple days off of work. How many put rest or or vacation on there? Raise them up. Guess what Jesus promises us? Come to me, those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest that our soul's rest is found in knowing that we are fully and perfectly loved by Jesus. We don't have to strive for Jesus's love and affection. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to work for it. It is a gift that is freely given, which by the way, how many of you are like super shallow and like, I like Christmas presents. Anyone bold enough to say that? Come on, there's, yep, I got someone in the back, dude. I love you, that's great. Listen, guess what Christmas gifts are? They're a shadow of the greatest gift the world has ever received, Jesus Christ himself. What our hearts desire are wired to only be found in Jesus. And listen, we've been given all of those things in him. We have a new identity. And here's what I love. These promises, they don't rest on how good we are. Look at verse three again. He says this, he says, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your savior. 
God's like, these are true because I am God and I am good and I've made these promises and I keep my word. Listen, I was just talking with someone last night and he was like, Cal, I'm just frustrated that I'm not as far along as I wish I was in my walk with the Lord. Like I still have thoughts that are wicked. I still fall short. I still mess up all the time. And and it's like, I just struggle with this idea that God still loves me and he cares for me and he pursues me. And I'm like, dude, because it's not about you. God made these promises based on his word and in his character. And the fact that you're struggling just means you're human like all of us. If we could reach sinless perfection, we would no longer need Jesus and it would actually destroy our faith, not build it. But God is faithful to his promises and he is transforming you through his work. Okay, and then here's the third thing I want you to see about thankfulness is it sets a new trajectory for our lives. Again, I want you to turn one more time in your Bible to Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 3 and 4, here's what it says. This is Paul encouraging a church that he planted, Philippians 2. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. So here's what Paul's saying. Hey, listen, one of the things the gospel demands, which is both beautiful and hard, is we've got to get rid of this idea that we are the center of the universe. It says, don't look to your own interests, but look at others as more valuable than yourselves. Live with the mentality, how can I serve and be a blessing to others? Why does Paul encourage that? Well, he tells us in verse five, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He's like, do you know why we serve others? Because we are thankful for what Jesus did for us that the right action of thankfulness is that the trajectory of our lives no longer means what does Cal want? How does Cal win? It's how do I live a life that loves, serves, and worships Jesus first? And then how can I be a blessing and love and serve and care for others second? Um, It was really cool. Back in June, I got to go on a trip with my family and we were able to go to Spain. My kids are, they speak Spanish. Uh, fluent Spanish. They learned that in school. So we got to kind of like test it out with them. And I've never been to Spain before. And we were in Madrid for a couple days. And I was told by people, if you're in Madrid, the place you have to go is the Prado Art Museum. And um, they're like, it's one of the best, if not the best art museum in uh, Europe. It actually has more masterpieces than the Louvre in Paris. Like it is world-class. You have to go. And I was thinking to myself, like, I don't know if I want to go to an art museum. Like, I don't know if you know this about me. I, whatever the opposite of an artist is, it's me. Like growing up in elementary school, my report cards would come back. It'd be like English A, math A minus, science B, uh, penmanship. That was a thing when I was growing up. And art Ds every time. And it was only because the teachers felt bad for failing me because I was trying my best. I was just terrible. I am not an artist. And I'm like, I've got these young kids. Are they going to like it? But we're like, all right, we're going to take people's advice. We're going to do it. So we go to this art museum and it is a massive building. Like you could walk through there for three full days and not see everything. And here's what blew me away. When you get in there, it is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures of Jesus Christ. That room with all of these famous works of art is dominated by religious paintings. 
And it was an encouragement to my heart and a reminder. You need to understand this, church. You know that there is no Western society without the gospel of Jesus Christ. You understand that, right? As much as we live in a culture that wants to move past our Christian roots and wants to run away from Christianity, without Christianity, things like art and music and science and government and charity, all of those things go away. Nobody wants to live in a world that is absent of the reality of Christianity. You know why that is? Because there's always going to be one name that is higher than every other name. It's the name of Jesus Christ. It was so encouraging to my heart to just see how rooted, not our country, our world is in the person and work of Jesus. And so we're walking through and Judah's like, hey, mom, why are there so many pictures of Jesus dying on the cross? Like every major artist, they have to have their like crucifixion masterpiece. It was like what they did. And what Mary told Judah, she's like, you know what? These men and women who did these paintings, they were the best artists in the entire world. And they were so thankful for what Jesus Christ did for them, for dying on the cross to save them, that they wanted to dedicate their lives to painting pictures of him so that people could see it and how beautiful it is. And that would bring glory and worship to Jesus. They did it because it was thankfulness. They actions, their giftedness, their work was for Jesus. And what I love about Paul is Paul believed this with every fiber in his being. This is on the screen. You don't need to turn there. But in 1 Corinthians, listen to Paul's mindset here. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. No, not being under the myself under the law, that I might win those that are under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became the weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you see what he's saying? He's like, I will do whatever it takes. If I'm hanging out with a bunch of Jewish people who follow the Old Testament law, I'll eat like them, I'll look like them, I'll live like them, but I'm going to do it so I can win them to Jesus. If I'm hanging out with Gentiles who know nothing of the law of God, I'll eat like them, I'll look like them, I'll drink like them, and I will do everything I can to win them to Jesus Christ. Why does he do it? Look at the last thing he says here. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Hey church, isn't it a blessing to know Jesus Christ? Paul's like, my whole life is worth chasing down that blessing. It is so good. It is so amazing. It has set the trajectory of my life that I no longer live for myself, but I want to be used by God, poured out however he might use me so I may share in the blessings of salvation. Church, look at me. Thankfulness is more than just a feeling. Nine of the men who were healed from leprosy felt great. Only one of them came back and showed his thankfulness to Jesus. So here's what I want to do as we close. I want to get really, really practical and really, really helpful and talk about some very tangible acts of thankfulness you and I can make even beginning uh, in just a couple minutes. Here's the first. Um, we need to prioritize right worship. We need to prioritize right worship. I need to explain something to you that when we gather together and sing songs, you know, it is an action of thankfulness. 
that there's something sacred that happens when God's people gathers together to lift up his name, that when we worship and how we sing and how we respond to him, we are living out an action that shows that our hearts are thankful for who he is and what he has done for us. And listen, it's meaningful, it's important, and we need to give ourselves to worship. Again, just last week, I was driving up to Fremont. It's like a 40-minute drive, and we're about halfway there, and I've got my kids in my car with me. And Bo goes, hey, Dad. And I said, yeah. He goes, what's the music going to be like at this church? And I was like, it's going to be very, very similar to what we do. It's going to be the same songs. You should be really, really familiar with it. And he's like, oh, good. I just hate it when the worship's bad. (laughs) And listen, that was a good teaching moment for us to be like, hey, worship's not about you right? It's about us praising Jesus. It's about us glorifying him. And can I say this? It's really funny and cute when it comes from the voice of a 10-year-old. It's not funny or cute when it comes from the voice of a 50-year-old. When we come here, it's not about us. It's not about our preference. It's not about what we would desire. It's about lifting high the name of Jesus Christ. And so here's what I know, right? It's Christmas season. That means next week, we're gonna be singing some Christmas carols in our church services. So can we play a game really quick? Brutal honesty. Give me a thumbs up if you love Christmas carols. Give me a thumbs down if you hate Christmas carols. And you can give two thumbs up or two thumbs down if you feel really strongly. Let me see. Okay, can I tell you a secret? I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. It's not about you. I don't care what your preference is. We're going to to worship through some Christmas carols. Hey, let's be engaged. Let's be worship. And don't sit there with your arms folded being like, man, we got to get rid of these lame songs until we get to the good stuff. That's a bad attitude. Okay, hey, as your pastor, I love you. And part of shepherding is, is I need to bring some conviction and press into some things. Um, One of the things that we are seeing an uptick in, particularly in this service and the 10 o'clock service in Grand Haven, we have an awesome problem. Our services are getting full and parking's kind of crazy out there, isn't it? And so here's what we're seeing happen though, a little bit more. As these services fill up, what happens is, is, you know, we do some worship, I preach, then I pray, and then we close in a song of worship, and we're seeing an uptick of people just leave during the last worship song so they can get out to their parking lot and get in their car and leave before the, the chaos of people come. Can I ask you a question? Jesus noticed the nine that didn't come back. When we bail early on worship because we want to get to our car fast, what does that communicate to Jesus? Is that really prioritizing right worship? Listen, I know in my heart, some of the best things that God does in my heart, it's in that last song of response. Because I've heard God's word, he's convicting me on certain things in my life that I need to change, and then worship is for me to respond back to him. Like, like, listen, we need to prioritize right worship. Let's take it serious. Let's lean in to every minute we're together. It's precious and it's valuable. Okay, here's the next thing we can do as a tangible act of thankfulness. You need to give honor and give honor often. Proverbs 3.27 says this. It says, do not withhold good from those to whom it's due when it is in your power to do it. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Here's what that means. When someone deserves thanks, thank them. Thank them physically. Thank them publicly. Say thank you. 
Um, I had an incredible opportunity just a couple weeks ago. We had a, a dinner at our church for just our elders and our deacons. There are people that kind of serve in the high, highest levels of leadership at our church. They help with benevolence. They help with doctrine and discipline and direction and all of those things. And we had a dinner. There was probably about 50 people in the room between the elders and deacons and their spouses. And I'm like, hey, guys, there's no agenda. There's no problems that we've got to solve. We're not making any decisions tonight. Here's all I want to say. I love you guys, and I'm so thankful for how you guys have served the Lord in this church. Many of them have been here over 10 years, faithfully just serving, caring for people, shepherding for people, loving the people in this community. And I just wanted to say, I value you and I appreciate you. Thank you so much. They deserve it. It's a good thing. Listen, we're getting to year end time at work. Some of you, um, you're going to be at the thing where you're going to get a review and you might get a raise or a bonus. If that happens, don't just be happy about it. Say thank you. Be the person who comes back and thanks their bosses for being generous with them. Listen, if you are a boss, if you're doing the employee reviews, if you're making these decisions, if you have people that work on your team or work under you that are faithful and good and hardworking, say thank you to them. Man, I appreciate you. I value you. You make, it, you make coming to work a joy every day because I appreciate your attitude and your work ethic. It means a ton. I was talking with a guy in my small group. He's a police officer. His name's Jake. And he's like, it's funny. He goes, I always get asked, what, what can people do to thank police officers? We know that it's hard work. We know that they're putting their lives on the line. We know that there's a toll it takes on families. How can we thank you? And you know what Jake tells them? You walk up to them you look them in the eyes and say, thank you for what you do. It's not that hard. You just have to do it. You just have to be willing to give honor. Listen, even at this church, if you have a small group leader, thank them. If you're connected with one of the pastors, if you're in counseling, if there's people in this church who have been an impact for you this year for Christ, say thank you. Don't just feel it. Do the action. All right, and then here's the last thing as we close. A way that you can show tangible thankfulness is you can help us out this Christmas. And I want to close with a little bit of a family chat. So give me your eyes. Don't put anything away. I need you to, to lock in with me. To be completely honest with you, we are a little bit nervous or terrified about how Christmas Eve is going to go this year. Here's why. Because we're expecting it to be really, really, really full. The combination of it happening on a Sunday and the growth we've been seeing at this church, we think our Christmas Eve services are going to be jam-packed and we're nervous about getting people out the doors and then in, in that half an hour time turn uh, between the services. So what we decided to do was add a Saturday night service, which isn't on Christmas Eve, it's on the night before, it's Saturday night at five. And here's what I would tell you. If you're thankful for this church and what God's doing through this ministry, one of the ways you can show us tangible thankfulness, sign up and come to the Saturday night service. Like it would do my heart so much good if that was the service that got filled up quickly. Here's why. Because Christmas Eve is one of the days when people in the community or people who don't go to church often will come to church and they're going to come Sunday morning. And if we are filled up with all of our own people, I'm worried people are going to come, not be able to park or not be able to find seats and they're going to leave. So every seat we can fill up Saturday night, it's us being used by the Lord to further the gospel by allowing people who might not come to church every week to be able to sit down and be a part of our services. So I'm just asking as your pastor, um, if you can, if you can make the adjustments and the arrangements, come Saturday night, that would help us out in real tangible ways. So um, hopefully some of you are listening and can do that. That would just be so appreciated. I'm thankful for you. 
I love pastoring this church and I'm just so encouraged from God's word that we might be the people who are the one that return to Jesus and be people who live lives of loud thanks. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for um, this church. I thank you for this morning. God, you're doing so many amazing things through lives of people in this place. God, would you root us to being people who are truly thankful. May it be more than a posture or more than a feeling. May it be um, a trajectory for our lives. Would you help us with that? We love you. We need you. You are so good. You are so worthy of all of our praise. God, I could talk forever about your goodness and faithfulness to us. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.